I had to go in with a baseball bat one time and get a girl that was fucking chained to a bed. I had to bring five guys about your size with me. And I didn't in give Delray? a fuck. Oh, yeah. I stormed through that door, got the three girls that I knew were in there, and fucking called the cops and watched them burn. And walked right up to one of these motherfuckers and said, let me tell you something. You're bringing out the prison in me, and I don't give a fuck. You have these girls chained to these beds. Are you fucking kidding Welcome to the show, Dana. Thank you so much for having me. Second time's a charm. So, so. <laughs> This is my first uh, podcast, too. You're okay. the first. I've been asked to do three now, but you were the first one, so. First one. Well, yeah, well, me and you met um, because you have your Instagram page, um, Plant Curing, um, and, you know, you're good friends with Tara, who has actually been on my show twice. Yeah. Tara was one of my first early on guests because um, I've been on her show, too. Um, Because she has her show on 420 Recovery. And so I've been on her show, so she did my show. And then she did one of my stigma episodes back in October where we talked stigmas. So, and then you and I met, I think she was with you. And then I hopped in your live and we talked a little bit briefly. And I was like, oh, I got to talk to her more. So now, you know, let's start from what is your sober date? So I go by the last time that I pretty much was in the thralls of addiction, Mm -hmm. living that lifestyle. I did have one lapse in between after getting sober, but really for me, um, I want to say that once I got on my path, I mean, we're talking about 2011, um, 2012 area is where I put everything down. Um, and then went on the record, went on the road of just, you know, being sober and not doing anything. And then I had a slip and then I went to plant medication. Okay. And we'll get into all that. Now, where are you from originally? I'm originally from New York. Um, the state in... or state or state or city? Cause when <laughs> I'm from Westchester, which there it is, is right, out, right, right outside, outside the city. Yep. Um, my dad's side of the family still lives there. Uh, my parents divorced when I was younger and my mom moved to Florida where her parents were. And this is where I've been. I spent my early days going back and forth where I would spend my summers in New York. And then the rest of the time I was with my mom, had the best of both worlds when it came to that. Hmm. Um, Yeah, because summers in New York, you're missing, you're not dealing with this, with the winters in New York. You're damn right. Yeah. (laughs) But I love snow. I love snow. Okay. Well, I mean, we all wait, drugs, like cocaine or. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, at one time both, but now it's just the snowballs that I could throw at people. Actual snow. <laughs> yeah, actual snow, not eight balls, snowballs. Yeah, yeah. Um, My eight ball days are over. I'm no too old for throwing, that shit. No one was throwing eight balls anyway, and if you weren't, yeah. you were really responsible. Um, well, no, actually, in The Departed, he throws an eight ball at one point. He throws it at her. Um, in the departed Jack Nicholson. When, oh, okay. With that one, you're gonna, like, you're gonna do movie, you're gonna do movie quotes help. on me. Don't I do it because it. my husband does help. it, and like I look at him and I'm like, we've been together for eight fucking years. Like, why do you think that I'm gonna know? Like, why? I don't I, understand that. You're my best friend in the world, and you know <laughs> better than anybody. Why do you think I'm gonna know these quotes? We watch a movie two weeks ago, and then he'll ask me two weeks about it, be like, we didn't watch that. I'd be like, are you kidding? I'll be like, no, I'm not kidding. We didn't watch that. So I'm really bad when it comes to movies. So when yeah. you say a movie <laughs> quote and I look like a deer in headlights, no, that's this fine. is why. 
The only time I've ever forgot a movie, ironically enough, was forgetting Sarah Marshall. Um, oh, I, I know that movie. Well, I so I this was 2008 when it came out, and I was probably just, just getting into like Percocets, and um, we were, I I had the apartment that everybody hung out at, right? Every everybody always came over and would hang out at my apartment. I was the only one at 21 that had her in place. And um, so we were watching TV with, like you had to back then. There wasn't streaming shit back then. It, you had to right. commercials. Or DVDs. So, oh, I had a, I worked at Best Buy. I had like 400 DVDs. It was the most oh. ridiculous like thing. And then I sold them all for drug money eventually. Of course. Uh, you know, GameStop. Was of course. All, like by the bundle. Yeah. Anywho, um, so it's the, the few of us that were, always, we're all just like smokers, you know, at that time. And I'm just dabbling in the perks. And we're sitting around watching a commercial, and the trailer was on for Forgetting Sarah Marshall. I'm like, oh, shit, I would see that. That's hilarious. And the two people I'm with both look at me like, we just saw that. You drove us to see that. Yes. You are right. <laughs> how do you, you – it was three days ago. You, you drove us there. Do you not – how do you not remember? I'm like, get the fuck out. No, we didn't. And they're like – it was the day that we, um, you know, smeared the blunt in liquid Percocet. I'm like, well, then how the fuck do you expect me? How to do you remember? expect me to remember? You <laughs> smeared the blunt in liquid Perc, and I'm like, yeah, I remember everything. Now get the fuck out of here. So ironically enough, the only movie I forgot was Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Um, Which so, is fitting for the name. <laughs> exactly. That, that's, it makes me laugh so much every time I think about that. And if they are watching one of the two people, they are laughing right now thinking of how they yelled at me because they always yell. Everybody always yelled at me because I would just say some shit to piss everybody. I'm that kind of guy that would instigate something just for fun. Like last night we were watching Tommy Boy with like Chris Farley, an old classic. Oh, yeah. and, I, and I took a picture of Rob Lowe, who's obviously Rob Lowe. And I sent it into the family group. And my dad is even more of like a TV and movie person than I am. So is my brother. And I said, Mikey, my wife, Mikey thinks that this is the guy from Parks and Recreation. And they're like, what are you talking about? They're like, yes, it is. I'm like, no, it's not. And like, I'm just trying to get them riled up. And then I finally called my dad. I was like, I'm just fucking with you. I was just, yeah. <laughs> like 10 o'clock at night. I was just, my, finally my sister was like, you guys, is JD just messing around? I'm pretty sure he's just kidding with you guys. And I was like, Jessica, that's why you have the only college degree in this group chat. <laughs> 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 so, so basically yeah. you're just the ball buster of the i family. am when i'm bored i'm like and your dad I'm... is above you on it yeah be, well we're the exact same person except we're 23 years apart in age mm, you know what i mean like we yeah. are the exact same person when it comes down to how we talk think act you know how we want to spend our leisure time the only difference is he's a workaholic and i'm a workaholic who is a recovering drug addict understood so that's the only difference you know he got yeah. in family really early and that you know, he never got into drugs because he got into working to support a family in the 80s, you know, and gotcha. that into. And then, you know, when how old are you? I am 36. OK, so you're my age. So you get it. So when we were like coming of age, we weren't mm -hmm. trying to settle down right away. Because no, we were trying not. to go against what our parents did in the 80s. Yes. Wanted to wait it out. We wanted yes. to, especially you. You came from a parents of divorce. You really wanted to wait. You didn't want to yes. rush anything. I'm just assuming, based on what I've heard from other people from parents of divorce, my parents are still together, but I didn't want to jump into something at 23 and have kids right away like they did. So that was the difference. That's why, you know, my dad fell in love with my mom at 22. I fell in love with Oxy at 
fucking do. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, I also watched a bunch of people start having kids like super young. And I was like, yeah, I'm not doing that. My best friend, for one, she has five kids now. Like it's ever, there was important time. You. Yeah. There was important, important, the very time where things like shifted, where she became like a mom. And it's always been like that now, but she 100% has been mom. And I watched her and like what she went through. And I'm like, yeah, I'm just not ready for that. I'm going to be Aunt Dana and I'm still Aunt Dana. And I'm totally good with that. I'm stepdad JD. I'm, I'm JD. I'm stepdad. You know what I mean? I jumped there in at go. five. I skipped the diapers. I skipped the teething. I skipped all that stuff. Five years old, I'm teaching him manners. You know, please there and you thank you. You know, right to the five-year-old. Now he's seven. He'll be eight this year. All right, back on track. I, I go on rants. I can't help it. It's you know? all right. So you're growing up in Westchester. Your parents divorce early. You're traveling back and forth to Florida. When is it do you discover any kind of escape with drugs or alcohol? Um, I want to say that my first time, and I don't want to say it was an escape, really. The escape came for me later. Um, okay. Really just trying drugs at that point was, you know, cannabis for the first time, which was just pot or weed, whatever dirt weed you could possibly find. Some mids. Um, some mids, whatever. Some KB. Yeah, whatever <laughs> they had. I mean, it literally just said pot on the bag, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't anything. It was just a Ziploc bag. It was just a Ziploc bag. bag. That Someone wrote a weird name on it and yeah. said, this is Skittle Fritz. Take yeah, it. Yeah, basically. I mean, at that point, it wasn't even named. It was like regular yeah. mids or crypt. That's what you were getting back in the day. That's for what us, I feel yeah, For us, it was regs. It was mids, headies, and KB. KB okay. was like middle, you know what I mean? Like mids were like regs and yeah. like, and then, yeah, headies was like, you know, the good shit. Where do you and live again? I'm from South Jersey, right outside of Philly. Okay. But now I'm up in like Bloomsburg. I'm actually closer to Westchester now because I'm up in Bloomsburg, which is like kind of near the Poconos, kind of near Scranton. Oh, I know where you are. So, yeah, we have like our big fair and a college here. We're known yeah, for the college yeah. and fair here. So, nice. you know, it's, you know, it's definitely a cool little town because it's, it's still a small town, but it's still big enough, you know, and it's in the middle of nowhere. But the mountains are beautiful. So, you know, I don't feel like I'm in a rural area because I can walk to work. You know, yeah, I can I, feel you. I can walk down Main Street. Yeah. So I don't I don't feel like I'm in the middle of like Jabumba fuck, you know, mountains where I can't walk anywhere. Like in Massachusetts where I used to live, you couldn't walk anywhere. You know, gotcha. just to get off the street was a two mile walk. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you were a side street. We so, just don't walk in Florida because it's too fucking hot, to be yeah. quite honest. <laughs> I, I I can't don't do I, that. I I don't even want to walk in Disney World in Florida because it's too fucking hot. Like Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right, so you're going to Westchester, you're back and forth. How old are you when you discover pot then? 13. 13. And when is it that alcohol is introduced? Never, you're never really a drinker? So it was really never a drinker, but of course I, I did that through high school. Um, the one thing I really didn't do in high school was I didn't do anything except for smoke weed and drink. Everybody else was doing a whole bunch of other stuff. I just really didn't get into it because I got into selling weed. I was like, oh, there's a market for this. Everybody wants to smoke and I can make some money, you know? And my mom was real big on me having a job anyway. And let me say this first, there was no reason for me to, to have to sell weed. I come from a family that took care of me. We weren't millionaires, but we were definitely totally fine. But yeah. for some reason, I decided that this was going to be a, a really good thing for me to do. I had a job at an ice cream store and I was selling weed out the back of it and never thought twice of it. Plus the little owner there was, I was selling weed to him too. So that 
I really carried on all through high school. Um, I think I tried Xanax maybe in my senior year, but once I got to college is that's when all everything came off. That, and this is down in Florida. When This so, is in Florida. So yeah, mid 2000s, you graduated 2004, I would imagine. 2000, 2003. Three. Okay. So, and the pill mills were, you know, huge, obviously in Florida back in that time frame. Like in that time period, that's when the pill mills started really like popping up and like doctor shopping started like popping up around there, right? Oh, yeah, that's exactly when it started. Um, so that's kind of where I I moved into that I shifted into too. Um, so once I once I graduated high school, I was off. Like I went to New York for a little bit and then I literally came back. Um, I was going to school in Miami with my best friend and um that's when I discovered ecstasy. Ecstasy was huge. The partying scene there was absolutely huge. It was so intoxicating pretty much coming from, you know, I would come from a really nice area, which is in Wellington, Florida. Everybody kind of knows everybody. It's huge now. But back when I was growing up, everybody kind of knew everybody. Um, did so you go to the university? Miami? Did you go to the University of Miami or just a college no, in Miami? No, no, no. I just went to a college in Miami. Okay. And uh, instead of living on the dorms, my friend and I actually got an apartment, which our parents got for us. So we had our own apartment. So it was, you know, and ecstasy over. was so huge in Southern Florida. It was being trafficked into the oh, into yeah. the country in we the early two thousand. We were making it here. We well, were making it. The people that I got hooked up with eventually were making it. They were getting the stuff here to press it and make it and flood the streets with it. It was crazy. Yeah. Yep. But that's what I mean. It was coming, like, the rest of the country was, it was coming from there. Like, that's oh, where yeah. it was starting, and it was coming up. That's, you know, I hate to make another movie reference on it. That's why Bad Boys 2 did a whole entire theme of ecstasy. Like, yeah, the entire Bad Boys 2 sure. movie is in Miami, and it's all about ecstasy. So, you know, that wasn't by accident, and that's not a coincidence that you're talking about 2004-E in Miami, and that movie was 2002 Miami, and it was flooded yeah. everywhere. Not a coincidence. Yeah. So, you know, so now you're telling me, now you're doing E, that is a party drug. I, you know, I have only done it like three times because I was more of a downer guy. You know, I, I had, I was trying to find my new thing right before I turned 20. I had just turned 22, or right about to be. And I was so over alcohol. I had been drinking for 11 years at that point. because so I started at, and I was just so done. At 21, I went so hard. I was so bored with it. So, you know, when I was trying to find something new before I got into pills, I got in hallucinogenics for like three weeks. Mm. Like I'm talking like acid all the time, shrooms and E. Yeah. And, you know, that was like and then eventually after like three, four weeks, I'm like, all right, I can't do this every day, though. You know, like my acid hangovers were like so long, you know, shrooms made me throw up violently every single time and ecstasy. I always got called out because people said I looked too happy. <laughs> <I looked>... <laughs> <laughs> They're like, you don't look like yourself. You're way too happy right now. And for me, that told me like, oh, you shouldn't look happy. You stopped doing that. Like, what the fuck was I thinking? So instead, I go into opiates and look sad for a decade. Like, what? Like, our addict minds and how they work. 
Yeah. I'm trying to understand them. I'm 85, 90 episodes into my podcast trying to understand their addict minds, and I'm never going to. No, there's I'm no point. I'm just going to keep diving into everybody else's and trying to figure out mine as I go along. You know, this is helping anybody that's listening, but this is really helping me stay sober. You know, that's, all, that's all that matters, though. You know, there are certain yeah. things that I have to do all the time to keep myself on track. You know, everybody sits there and asks us, like, how are you doing so well? Like, you're doing so great. I'm fucking making it. Like, I'm getting it one day at a time still. It doesn't matter how much time I have. I will say the obsession has lifted. And that was the biggest problem for me. We could always go back to the feelings or going through what you're going through mentally. But the obsession that kept me back and forth, back and forth for years, that I can say I'm in a good place to say, I don't feel that way anymore. I don't think about it the way I used to. I don't obsess about it. And I also use a needle. So that was even harder, I feel like, for me with any other drug I'd ever done because it was the whole process that I was addicted to as well. Oh, I was I was recording myself sniffing lines all the time like it was sex. You know what I mean? We romanticized the way that we did our drugs. Oh, and, okay, you know, yeah. like I would show off. Like, oh, look at this huge line I just railed. I got you. Know? you. So, yeah. and it is, you know, I was obsessed with the process of breaking up and snorting a pill. Sure, just sure. Just as much as I was the pill. And I am still obsessed, just not with that. You know what I mean? Of course. I, I'm obsessed with other things. I'm obsessed with sobriety. I'm obsessed with recovery. I'm obsessed yes. with connection. I'm obsessed with putting, you know, content out there and making fun clips. I'm obsessed with finding the right song for the right clip and spending hours picking the right part of the song and making it work, even though 100 people might listen to it. But still, for me, it's that obsession that I love and it's healthy obsessions. It's about having the right kind of thing. We're always going to be addicts, you know, and it's just a matter of what we're addicted to now and how is it serving us? Is it healthy? Is Is it making our lives unmanageable? Are we losing relationships over our obsessions now and our addictions now? That kind of thing, you know, because we're just, that's how we're wired, Dana, you know, like. Yeah, we're gonna... I can relate though. I, I have the yeah. same obsessions now, you know, it, I really do. And there's nothing wrong with them. It's keeping me happy, sober, and also connecting. And there was a while where I wasn't connecting with anybody anymore. And it wasn't that I wanted to go back into my old habits. It was just, I was on a different path mentally where it wasn't good for me. So connecting with, for me personally, is what keeps me going and what, and helping people that's, and we'll get to that, but that's how I got into working into treatment because I wanted to help people. Yep. And somebody helped me at one time. Yep. And that's the thing, too. Yeah, because, you know, someone said to me one time, not said to me, they commented on one of my videos on YouTube. Then they deleted it like I wouldn't see it. Um, But I still see it. You know, if you delete your comment, we still see the original comment before you Mm -hmm. delete it. Just so you know. Um, So and the comments said something like, I find it really scary with how much you talk about your past and how you used. Like, it's almost like you romanticize it. And it's like, I feel comfortable enough to talk about it. I'm con- I, I, it doesn't trigger me to You're talk about. You're damn right. You're damn you know, right. There was a like, time where I couldn't talk about it either. You're damn right. And now I can because I'm so yes. far removed from it that I have to almost talk about it so that it's a reminder. It's like that toxic relationship. It's that reminder of the good times and the bad times. And you have to just, you know, and yes. I'm okay with talking about it. If you don't like that I'm going to talk about it, then don't tune into my show. 
Absolutely. But, you know, the people I talk to, it's nitty gritty shit. My, I don't put trigger warnings on my episodes because my entire show is a trigger warning. You know, like just of course. just understand when you watch or listen to my show, we're going to talk about things that might make you uncomfortable. And especially if you've never been in addiction and you just want to hear people talk and you're just listening and just because you're curious, you're going to get really uncomfortable because you're not going to really understand. And then you might fear us a little bit, but yeah. that fear is OK. It's OK to fear things, you know, like I like acronyms. Fear to me used to mean fuck everything and run. You know, yeah. and now it's face everything and recover. You know, yep. it's okay to be afraid of things, you know. Um, so now, again, you're doing E. It's mid-2000s. It's southern Florida. Party scene's wild. Yeah. Um, you're, not even, you're not even fucking with opiates yet. You're not even going with downers. You're, I mean, E is not a downer. Anyone who's ever did E knows you are not, when you're rolling, you are not down. No. <laughs> like I, I mean, said, you, can like, always, you could always have dirty rolls, obviously, that kept you down, which I've had in the past. Um, but no, just the time of when it was, you know, getting out of high school, going into college, that first basically semester that I was there, I partied the whole time. I went to school, but then Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, it was on. And in Miami, Every time you go to a party, there's an after party afterwards. So you might go to a club at 10 o'clock at night, but then you're getting out of a club at 11 a.m. the next day. So that's pretty much was that partying schedule. And I wasn't really letting up from it. And my mom caught on really quickly. Then I was also- Even though you some, weren't living with her. Wasn't living with her. Oh, she, she knew. Was Let me tell you something about that woman. I love her more than anything in the entire world. And she is literally my best friend now, but she is so good at knowing when I'm not okay in whatever situation. She just has to hear my voice. That's all she needs. And she'll be like, yep, what's wrong? I know what's going on. Yeah, that's, that's it. Which I love because yeah. it's, um, I mean, it's a, testament what... to, it's a testament to the relationship that you built with your mom over the years growing up as an adolescent and as a teenager sure. to the fact yeah. that she'd be able to pick up on those cues. That's Absolutely. what it really comes down to. Yeah. Um, the fact that you were you were close. You might have fought like a mother and daughter should. Always. You should, um, you know, have a little combative. There should be a little bit of but back and forth. But the fact, the whole point is I should be able to call my mom and go, hello? And I should be like, what's wrong? I, I need to immediately. immediately. I, need, I need my mom to go, what, what's wrong, J-Day? You know, that means a lot. I need that. Yeah. And when she does it, I'm hurt. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it's really weird. If, if my mom doesn't pick up on my cue, then I'm like, all right, I, I can't talk to you right now. Never mind. Because I'm already so hurt. I'm already, I was already hurt. And now I'm even more hurt that you didn't hear it. That you didn't notice. <laughs> <laughs> Mommy. <laughs> Like I had to have a, I had to have women therapists in rehab because I was, you know, I can only, I could only talk to my mom or feel comfortable talking to my mom, you know, that kind of thing. It's not that my dad's a bad guy. It's just that I always felt uncomfortable talking to my dad because we were too similar, you know, and I already knew the answers he was going to give me in a sense, because I would have, it's almost like I had a conversation with my dad in my head because we think alike so much. And then plus the whole thing of, you know, in the nineties and the two thousands men's mental health and, you know, open up to your father. It's, there was a lot of stigma around not being a man. If you cry to your dad, you know, and all that stuff. Now it's okay. Now my dad and I, we get very, very vulnerable with each other. Good. And we have very, very real talks with each other. Like we've never had before in these last few years, but that's, and that's in the last few. So I can understand the whole like mommy dynamic of like, Dana, what's wrong? 
So when was the first time she said that to you? It wasn't, I guess it, I was also, I don't really, and, and actually I should have said this before we started this. Um, you know, like I said, I had been doing drugs for a decade and then I spent so much time getting better. Sometimes I'm off on the dates, times, what happened, whatever. It's, it's human. Like it just kind of is what it is. Sometimes I go back, like the first time I ever recorded a live of like me telling my story and I listened to it, I was like, Mm, you fucked up. That wasn't right. <laughs> like, I'm just being honest about it. Like, it's taken me a while to go through the past two and kind of, you know, section some things out. But I totally make mistakes. And I'm not always right. And I'm really sorry for that. Um, if you're if you follow and you're like, she said something wrong, like, it is what it is. I am 100% not correct a lot. It's the reason why I don't know if I'll ever write a book, even though I should probably write a fucking book. But I, I'm not doing it because of the fact that um, I skimmed so much of my life to my family because I just they, I'd put them through so much anyway. But also at the same time, I just can't fucking remember. And then other people in my life who do remember, they'll tell me what I need to remember. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. So, yeah. I mean, it's 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 hard. But anyhow. So mom figured out that, sorry, mom figured out that things weren't going okay. I was somehow making some money in this time period, but I don't know exactly what I was doing. And she realized that I had a lot more money than I needed to have. So she showed up one morning, not telling me, showed up with movers and said, you're coming home. I've already talked to your best friend's parents. I will pay the rent till the end until she can find someone. Or I don't even actually know how that happened, to tell you the truth. Something where they worked out because her and I have been best friends for years. They worked it out, whatever. But she said, you're coming home and you will do everything I tell you to do. And I was so, like, Florida's a big state. How far away is she from Miami when she makes this little trip? Because like, So you know. about an hour, about an hour, okay. you know, a little whatever. She comes there. She packs me all up and says, you're coming home. So now I've only completed a semester. I'm pretty much coming home a month before Christmas. So it's two, still 2003, pretty much. And Wow, I, you uh, went hard fast. Real fast. Um, <laughs> and then um, I literally, well, in that time period, too, it connected me with a bunch of people that connected me down the line with things. That and I you probably too. went down way before the semester started, I would imagine. If the semester started in August, you were probably down late June, early July, right? Like, to get Well, this. yeah, we went probably a month beforehand because yeah. I also had gone to New York. That was like my last yeah. summer. I was because like if you weren't. In the city. And Florida, you guys start school in August, so you're wrapped by May, right? It wasn't just yes. for September, yeah. June. No, no, no. We're yeah, we're we we get done earlier than you guys, so yeah. You go in in August, though. You you guys yes. would go in in August because I yes. remember that because I remember we would go. We we went to Disney World a lot as a family growing up, and I remember in the beginning we would go in August because it was less traffic because the Florida people were back at school. Already but, back in school, yeah. Um, yeah. and then after like the second time, my dad said, "Fuck this weather. We are never going in August ever again." And oh yeah. We started going Don't in no, We Don't started going now. in November instead. Yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah, so I ended up, so it was a really, it was really short lived being in Miami. Um, I, I then I, I wasn't done with school yet. So I was having to drive there and back still. My mom's like, you're still going to drive there and you're going to finish the semester. Then you're going to transfer over here. So when I came home, I don't, I always say this, like when I talk about this, because I don't know if it was the best idea or the worst idea for me to come home. Because when I came home, everyone that I went to high school was still pretty much there that and they were doing the same thing except 
our partying was harder because we were out of high school and we didn't have so much reins on us. So it and, became. And you're in a well-to-do area, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. So the the in more like like you said, you weren't rich, but you you were comfortable. We were in the nice. We were in totally were com- in the nicer yeah. uh, part of town. Absolutely. So a bunch of your friends probably had some disposable disposable income where their parents were like traveling, and you just had money. Is that what? Because oh. I've heard of that. Where like, oh There's- yeah, we would go to like I went to Catholic school for one year, and we would always hang out at people's houses where the parents were always on business trips and shit because they had Absolutely. so much money. They always had a trap. Yeah. Oh yeah. I definitely had friends that were like that. And then I had friends that came from nothing. You know, it was, it was definitely a melting pot in that area, but we did come from a really, really nice area. Um, but I ended up coming home and realized that everybody was kind of partying. Um, I got a job. Um, I was working with kids at the time. Um, I worked at (laughs) a, uh, I've always worked with kids. I've always been like a babysitter. You know, I became a nanny. And then um, I also I work after school. No, not while I'm doing. Dana is so happy when she's watching. No, us. I don't. I don't know how anybody could not do ecstasy in like a club scene mentality, or like even at a house party. Like I, I could never yeah. just sit around and like go out during the daytime. Like that's not gonna happen. Like the first time I did ecstasy. All right, real quick story. First time I did ecstasy. This is how like. What is the rule for drugs? Do half, right? That's always the rule. Always. Do, do you always half. do half first. Yeah. So, but, you know, I'm a drug addict, so I don't listen to that rule. So it's like 10 o'clock <laughs> at night. It's 10 o'clock at night on a Friday. And it's oh, it was good, nighttime? Well, you know. You're good. I had, I had work the next morning, you know what I mean? And that was I was. Your, that was your mistake. I, my, my best friends had my key to my apartment because, you know, they were always there anyway. Um, so, and I worked. So they, they came in. And they come to me and they're like, hey, um, let's do some ecstasy. I was like, what? And then they pulled out a baggie, just pills at the bottom of the bag kind mm-hmm. of thing. And they're like, we just picked, we just randomly found some E, so do some E with us. And they've never done E before. These are my best friends since first grade. I know this. They never did E. And I'm like, what are you fucking guys talking about? And they're, and they're like, I was like, I'm just going to relax. And they're like, all right, I guess we're going to have the drug they done that you have never done. Fuck, give me two. Yeah. Like, that's all it took. <laughs> give me two. I don't know what they are. They're probably the most potent shit in triple sack. But let me well, get two and, of them. And he goes, and he goes, yeah. They're like, oh yeah, it's G's up, hose down. I'm like, I don't know what the fuck that means, but I'll take I'll two. I'll take, take two of them. Pop two, <laughs> and then next thing you know, it hit me as we were driving over to Walt Women Bridge to hang out at our buddy's apartment in Philly. But that's all we did was hang out at my buddy's apartment in Philly. So, but I did do it at a house party, and then that's when someone's like, you look really, really happy right now. Like, almost too happy. Like, almost like you might be on ecstasy kind of happy. And I'm like, I'm just really happy. I don't know fucking tell you, <laughs> but I was Oh, happy. you know what? That's, that's, I don't know why it just reminded me of this, but when I was in Miami towards, towards the time that I was actually, you know, my mom came and got me, um, I remember one night that we were all going out and I was the one person that decided that wanted to drop ecstasy and nobody else did. And I can tell you that was a very pivotal moment for me because I realized that I like drugs more than other people, or at least the people that I was around at the time. And that I was willing to take an ecstasy by myself and go out while everybody wasn't, which usually I feel like ecstasy is, is a lot more, was a lot more fun when it was like a whole group and everybody was doing it together. Yeah. 
But yeah. I was over here just taking them by myself where we were just going out for a little bit. And I realized then that that hey, Dana, was... what are you up to? I got to study. I'm, I'm going to drop some E and study. And then I don't know. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm going to put <laughs> some coffee study. on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, like, I realized then that there was something not... I could tell you then that was one of those moments where I was like, there's not, there's something a little bit off about me. But anyways, I ended up coming back home. Everybody was starting in the partying scene, um, but everybody was taking ecstasy, but couldn't get ecstasy. And then at the same time, everybody was also starting to live on their own or they were living still in the same area, but just in the surrounding areas, you know, West Palm Beach is huge. It's a huge area. So they might not have lived in Wellington, but they were living around and people, you know, were renting houses together and this and that. So house parties were huge and people were, you know, taking a lot more different drugs, but ecstasy was huge and everybody wanted it. Nobody could really find it as much as they, as they and wanted you to. You happen to be going to school where you travel to for classes and where you have plenty of connections and then Dana becomes the person that has the E. Yes. Yes. It's exactly how that happened. Um, <laughs> I, one, I can just see right on the wall. Yeah. One quick trip um, is all it took. And I started realizing that everybody was doing it. And we were all doing it together. I was totally partaking in all these parties. Um, sometimes people would find them around town. But it was I could find them. I could always just make a phone call take an hour drive there and an hour drive back. And we had what we needed for however long. Um, so that's what started. I already was doing the, my introduction into selling pretty much started. Were you dosing on the way back? Were you dosing on the way back knowing that it was going to hit you by the time you were, weren't you? I knew it. You're like, all right, I got 45 minutes to my, till I'm there. I'm going to take this now and boom, party's going to start when I walk through the door. So one of, one of my, one of my friends I and I, all right, so listen, so one of my girlfriends and I, we took the trip, just her and I one time. Um, I didn't roll really deep in there because I, I knew better than that that connection was my connection. You know what I'm saying? Like the mentality of being doing drugs and also having that connection. I knew that was my connection and I was not giving it up because I it's knew the connection. Yeah. Yeah. I knew the connections that he had anyhow. So I went and I picked him up. I was just with a girl of mine and she was like, we should take him on the way, you know? And I'm like, yeah, for sure. So he calls me while I'm driving. He's like, Hey, he's like, day, I totally forgot to tell you that these are like way stronger and they've got more, they're more dirty. So dirty would be like their downers. And I was like, Oh, he's like, so you should probably wait till like you get, you know, just make sure you are where you are for the night because I took him the other night and like, it was way down. I'm like, dude, I just popped it. He's like, all right, you might as well just come turn around and come hang with me then. He's like, cause you're, you're not making it that drive down. And I was like, no, I got this. I was like, I got, I got this. I you got know? it. Fucking driving the whole way. Finally, my friend next to me was like, you good Dana? I'm like, I am totally fine. Chill. I was always the driver because I never really drank. I'm like, I'm good. And I'm sitting there and all of a sudden I'm like, I'm not okay. I am not all right. Like, no, we're good. We're good. We're driving. We're driving. I remember this entire experience just blowing up, trying to get to where I was, where there was probably 50 people waiting for all the pills that I had anyway. So, and I'm sitting there just completely blowing up the entire Is it daytime time. or nighttime? Nighttime. I never, I never took ecstasy during oh, the day. Fuck. So never took ecstasy during the day. The highway lights are hitting off your car too. So it's kind of like being a video game. It's like that stream of like it, that Tron. It's like your Tron. It's like that. Oh, like, yeah, yeah. Oh my God. But I fucking made it. I made yeah. it. Well, no, I, 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 I've been there. I was always a driver. 
I yeah, always know, same, I same had with me. Be. I was always the I, driver. Always the driver. I had to be. I remember one time, this was the worst trip I ever drove. It was for my best friends, and we went to Canada. And this is when you could go into Canada with just your ID, and you didn't, mm-hmm. and you, you didn't need a passport. This was like 2008. And um, we were leaving Canada. It was our friend's 21st birthday that weekend. He got so smashed. I mean, smashed. And we're in line waiting across the border, and he's in the back seat. And there's you know another guy in the middle, and we're they're squishing the back seat, and me I'm driving, and my other friend he's like a big guy too, he's in the passenger, and our friend's like I'm gonna throw up, I'm gonna throw up, I'm like dude you can't throw up when we're at the fucking border, like just let me get through the border because this is like we have so many so much paraphernalia in the trunk it's ridiculous, yeah. it's like all these bongs and shit and bolt like do not. As soon as we cross the border, um, I start like on this long road of all these empty warehouses, Niagara Falls and New York side, and he's just half his body out the window, just vomiting. And we're recording it and laughing and having a good time. And then they all pass out. And then I'm like the dad because they all pass out. And then finally I hit traffic and then they all wake up bitching. I'm like, I'm going to turn this fucking car right So <laughs> Right now. <laughs> it was one of the worst nine hour drives of my life. I couldn't wait to get home and smoke some weed. This um, episode is sponsored by MJ's Progress Not Perfection Meeting Center Association. We are in our meeting center where we do all these meetings for mental health and addiction. I can do this podcast anywhere. I can do this at home. I can do this in a closet. I can do this in a basement. It doesn't matter. All I need is somebody else to talk to about addiction and recovery. What I can't do from anywhere is help people with their addiction and their mental health problems. So if you can help out, you know, we do have a Venmo, we have a Cash App, we have a PayPal, we have an address you can send a check to. And, you know, all the money that gets donated goes towards rent, goes towards keeping the lights on, and goes towards keeping the internet on. So please, you know, if you can get 5 bucks, 10 bucks, 20 bucks, it doesn't matter. Anything you can is so appreciated. And if you are a local business, if you're a national business, whatever, and you want to be a part of what we're doing, you know, you can reach out to me and we can talk about how you can be a sponsor. But I'll let you get back to the episode. All right. So that that's a long that's a long trippy drive back home. But you made it. So, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so anyhow, I, I the whole the whole part of being, you know, people using ecstasy and me be, being around it. And it just it was just that time. Everybody was doing it. Everybody was partying. We were doing house parties. There was a lot of free love and a whole lot of experimentation in that time with people and everybody hooking up with everybody, which I don't really think was um, a really great idea because it also caused a lot of issues within the whole what? community of friendships. Yeah, no you know, way. but you don't no care way. then, you know, no it's, way. It, it got to that point where, <clears throat> you know. I think everybody had hooked up with everybody at that point, but it was a really, I can't, I can't say anything bad about that time. Cause it was a really great time. It was before it was the calm before the storm. I feel like sometimes, cause that was just the innocent partying, working, still going to school, still managing my life, you know, still just experimenting. And then it wasn't anymore. You know, then it's it just the became honeymoon. a different it's, chapter. It's the honeymoon phase. It really is. hundred percent. It's the honeymoon. It's the pink cloud equivalent to being a drug addict of course when, it is. when your life's not in shambles your family doesn't even know that you even experiment and maybe yeah. they know that you get you drink or you yeah smoke, yeah but they don't know the depths of what you do 
Um, and you have it pretty well managed, and you still yeah. have the job. It's definitely the pink cloud and effect. I, and wait, and I was living but. at home at the time, so I'm like 19 now, you know. And I'm living at home, and my mom's always like, "You need to come kiss me when you come in the door." Absolutely, I'm not drinking, so uh, of course I am. There was no, you know what I mean. So it just, it was just that uh, that type of drugs that everybody was doing. We experimented to the fullest. Um, cocaine also came onto the table then. But the Coke but, in Miami? No way. I wasn't in Miami no, now, like, but okay, I was also I'm like, Coke definitely. In Florida? Yeah, I know. No way. That, but that's when I started experimenting with cocaine as well. Um, but it was really just the ecstasy, the Xanax bars to come off, come down. You know what I mean? From, so Coke was the first thing you snorted then because you're not snorting Zannies, you're not snorting correct. E. You're just popping. Correct. So now, now all of a sudden you discover what does for yep. you. Yeah. So then I started on that just a little bit, but at the time, like I said, I was, I was working with kids. Um, and I actually contracted MRSA from working in where I was working. Um, didn't know much about it, but I had like an abscess on my, on my, I don't remember where it was, but I had my first abscess and I went to, um, went to the doctor and, they did, they lanced it, they extracted it, you know, they gave me medication. And of course, what did they give me for pain? Oxy. Oxy. Yep. What so, year was this? This had to be 2004 now. Five, four. Okay, so did you watch Dope Sick? Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, actually, our live this this weekend is about Dope Sick. Can um, I hop on that one? Yeah, gonna, absolutely. Okay. Because yeah. I've been wanting to talk about it, like, in full. Yeah. Because um, I've already watched it a couple times. Um, I was only triggered one time. And I don't know about you, but the only time I was triggered was when Michael Keaton sniffed his first pill. I he, wasn't, he, I wasn't he, triggered. Well, not that I was, it wasn't that I was triggered. It was more like I felt what he felt. I felt what the because girl felt after he, her, the explosion. When she was sitting there and she said, I don't know what's wrong with me. I remember that day, that pivotal moment where I was like, what the fuck is going on with me? Like, I am not okay anymore. Now, is your husband a normie? Um, my husband is because, a like, total partier and totally okay. has done every drug known to man. Um, and definitely can drink with the best of them. But is he like me? No. no. Has okay. he had those experiences? Sure, few few and in between, but would I label him someone, he to totally did opiates, he told, he was one of the people that did opiates at parties and realized that he was fucking taking them all the time and all the time and realized he was sick, and once he came to that realization and stopped doing them, he was done. He didn't yeah. go through what I went through. Yeah, I, I said to my, I, well, I think it's important that when we feel something or think something, you just say it, you're right. So mm -hmm. as soon as, you know, his character sniffed that 80 and yeah. then the way he sat back on the couch from the coffee table. I get that. I said to my wife, oh, I felt that. Yeah. And she was like, what do you mean? I was like, I know that heaviness of Michael. I, let me just tell you this. Michael Keaton is an amazing actor. He did because really well. The way that he sat back was ex like, I must get chills thinking about it. You know, and again, I'm not romanticizing him because I want to do it. I'm romanticizing it because it was just. A part of my life at which I love totally. it. I totally. I totally get that. Now. Oh, so yeah. I, for the audience, I know. So, but the way he sat back and that I could feel the heaviness of his body, 
of the sit back on the edge of the couch after you come yeah. back from the coffee table. Absolutely. That was the only time where I went, oh, there it is. I felt that one. Yeah. Um, you know, but and I said to my wife, it's important that I just say it out loud, because if I don't say it out loud, then it gets stuck up here. Then it bounces of up course, around my head. Of course. And then my mind plays tricks on me. Yeah. And that's when that relapse starts happening because your well, head. I watched it like I watched I like binge watched it and I called oh. Tara and I was like. I was like, I feel, she's like, we should do something fun for Christmas. And I was like, no, I was like, honestly, I'm feeling this way. I was like, I just watched this. And the real reason why I wanted to talk about it is because at the end of the day, for the past 15 years of my life that I've gone through being in treatment, being, being, you know, an addict, going through it all, I should say this, going through being in addiction and then being off of addiction. Those are two jobs, correct? Like 100%. And you're constantly always working at it. But I never stopped to knew where it all came from. I never paid attention to the backstory. I never knew why they were so accessible. I didn't understand why a whole generation went through this problem just like I did. I didn't know the backstory. I will say that Fully at 36 years old, I literally yep. had no idea of the backstory until I watched it. And then I didn't just go there. I have been on a fucking rampage of, of, of you watch H- you have HBO. Oh, yeah. I wa- okay. I'm, I'm, I'm so watching it right now. The, the, the crime of the century. That's I'm watching it right yeah. now. When we get off the phone, the that's what I'm watching today because I want to yeah. watch the second part. Because now it all makes sense. Everything that was going on, why it was so easy for me to get pills and whale doctors that I could find. And we can get, all right, we're not well, there. And, let's and, let's and, digress. And, yeah, this, this episode is going to come out after the fact. So if you want to hear more about our thoughts on Dope Sick, go to Plant Curing's Instagram or yeah. Cat of Mindful. And you're going to see a live from Sunday, December 19th. or Right? Yeah. Yes. Sunday, December 19th. You're going to see it live, and we're going to be talking about it yes. there. I'm going to leave it with this, though, with Dope Sick, is if you've ever been to the hospital and you've ever seen the, the doctor say to you, here's a chart of how do you feel 1 to 10, that is those motherfuckers from Purdue that implemented that over 20 years ago just as an excuse so they can give out Oxy to everybody. You're damn right. They still have the chart because now it's pertinent for the doctors to you know, have some kind of scale. Mm-hmm. How, that they're not giving you oxy, but that originated because of Purdue trying to find more ways to slip you more oxy in the hospitals and not just from your, you know, PCP, your practicing, you know, care physician. That that chart so, makes me fucking sick. How many I, times have we seen no. it? How many times? Yep. And now I've seen it after the fact too, because I yeah. My, so my, then my, your mind is like hospital, and they're like, want a scale, want a pen. I'm like, fuck that scale. Like, yeah, fuck like, that scale. Don't even let me see produce. that scale. Let me see Purdue's label on that scale yeah. now. Thank let you. Me see. You know, so no, I get all <laughs> I get all heated. So oh my god, so heated. Tomorrow. We're gonna have a fun talk tomorrow. Yeah. I so, might watch Dope Stick again today just so Oh I my god. Because I watch week to week. I was so excited. I watched no, week to week. I fucking watched the whole thing through. I couldn't stop watching it. Yeah. Because I it just was, it's our, it's just the time. Oh yeah. It's the time when we grew up. It's the time when we grew up. It's what we went through. It doesn't matter where you were in the fucking it, world. It, it, I don't want to say it justifies States. it. I don't want to say it justifies our but addiction. But it, it, it has. It makes sense now. It makes me feel so much better. Like it makes me feel so much better that it. It's not just me. I know it wasn't just me, but I mean, like mm-hmm. the rewiring of the mind. That is what's made me feel the the best. The fact that even that doctor, you know, that Keaton played. 
didn't yeah. understand how his mind was rewired, literally rewired. Yes. And then that explanation that that other doctor gave to him, that sub doctor gave to him. Yes. It, it justified so much for me as somebody in recovery to the point where I was like, oh, and then for the last three and a half years, I just been rewired my mind back to what it was, you know, pre 22 when I was just an adolescent. So I like, I'm still just like, you watch, uh, you watch Shameless? I have, but I'm not up okay. to date with okay. it. Okay, yeah, but like Frank does that where he's like, you know, if some somebody dies and then Frank goes on his huge binge. Yeah, and, yeah, oh, I remember that. After Monica died. And then he's like, all of a sudden he's Frank at 20 years old. And he's like Frankie. Yes. And then he's like Francis. And then like, now he is like this, you know, it's like the same thing. And we're just now getting our maturity back mentally as we go along. Yeah. Um, and you know, on, more, my, yeah. on my last relapse, um, which was the best relapse I ever had because it was a decision for me to really stop um, everything and to actually, I feel like person. really put in the same, like the, the work that I did on my last relapse. It was the, the time where I shut my mouth. I didn't know anything. And I had been working in treatment too. So like, I felt like I knew everything, but I really didn't. And I remember going into the doctor. I, I knew the doctor that I wanted to go to. I knew the medication that I was going to use. I knew the whole thing of what I wanted to do. And I walked in there with a plan and he was like, so you want, so do you want to actually get sober? And I was like, yeah, I have this whole plan. He's like, well, I'm going to say this as nicely as I possibly can. Fuck your plan. I need for you to shut your mouth and listen. He's like, you are such a pillar in this community and you have such a high powered job and you help people. Well, we're going to help you now. And I looked at him and I was like, all right, whatever. He's like, and you're going to do everything I tell you to do this time around because he's like, I want you to fucking make it. He's like, I, there's no reason that you can't. And that's your rock and bottom. And you can do this. And that, that was, was my rock that was my rock bottom for me, even though there were so many worse times. But that one looked at me and he was like, and you didn't lose a thing this time around. And you could have. He's like, but well, you're not going to tell me how I'm going to help you. Yeah, I'm going I, to, uh, you were going to use the things that you've learned to help you along the way of what I want to do with someone like you who's been chronically relapsing for 10 years, but also has had times of sobriety. Yep. I and talked about I, that with, I, I talked about that with Tara, how like it does our lows are our lows. We all have different lows. Yeah. But you literally can't hit rock bottom means there's no more further to go. And then when you hit rock bottom is when you either die and stay there or you decide to start crawling out and doing something different. Yeah. You're literally saying, Okay, tell me how to do this better because I can't do this on my own. Yeah. To me, that's a rock bottom because that's when you start climbing out. Yeah. Um, I think we all have different lows. You know, I definitely think that my lows are worse than my rock bottom sometimes. Mm -hmm. But really, that rock bottom, the hardest thing to do is surrender. The hardest thing to do is say, I don't know how to do this alone and I need help. Yeah, yeah. getting arrested sucks. Losing friends sucks. Losing family sucks. You know, losing yourself sucks. But that bottom where you can't go down any further and you have to start going up, that is when you surrender and you say, I need help. Someone help me. The hardest thing I ever did was ask for help the first time for rehab. And now I'm okay with asking for help for anything because I've already broke my governor with asking for help. Yeah. I can ask for help with rehab. I can ask you for help with anything, you yeah. know? So the first, time I, the first time I ever went to rehab, I, I did, I was honest about it because I was told to be let's honest Let's get into about that. It, when did you time, get into rehab the first time? 
Hold on, let me, I'm gonna go back for just a second okay. though, because when this this last time, I knew myself. I, I'm the one that told on myself. And when I went to this doctor, that's when he explained to me about my brain and being rewired and the way that what I've been doing for the past 10 years, going back and in and out and in and out and how he wanted to help my brain get back to where it needed to be and then progress in a different way. And that's the first time I ever had heard that. And it was the first time it ever made sense to me. And it really, nobody really talked to me like that before. So when he said that, it was like, okay, I, I understand now. I've always known that. I've always known that it messes with your brain, but I didn't think about how it was messing with my brain. I always thought about others because I was always helping others. Anyhow, all right, so let's go back. We're, we're at my ecstasy stage. We're at the cocaine stage. Then I got MRSA. Then I got prescribed oxys. Okay, so the first time I ever got prescribed them, they were like a really, really low dose. I took them as prescribed, but I'll never forget the first time I ever took them and my mom was in the car with my mom and I was fucking loaded. And my mom was like, what is going on with you? Like he told her pain medicine might make me, you know, whatever. Loopy. But, loopy, but I was fucked up, like totally fucked up. Anyhow, so I got through MRSA. I had a really, I, I, I honestly, it also fueled, um, the worst part of it was is because since I already had MRSA before, then when I started on needles, it just made it 10 times worse. I was, it was so bad for me. Anyhow, so I, um, I ended up getting these pills and it's taking them, whatever. And then I realized at a party one night that people were actually taking them. They were taking them and snorting them. And I had no idea that people were doing this. Then I was like, I just had that prescription recently. I had taken it as prescribed, whatever. And then I was, I was kind of done with it. Um, and I, I'm now I'm noticing all of these people taking it. So I literally, the first time I ever took it was a, that was a very low dose that the doctor gave me. Like tens or 20. Probably tens, you know, something yeah. really, You're really a 19 low. year old I'm girl. I'm 19 and 20 at this point. Like it was, it was it's a not really a serious, it's not no. a serious injury. You're probably Correct. pain scale was like probably a five yeah. or a six. So yeah. he's like, I got to give you tens. I'm not yeah. going to give anything. I don't think it was anything more no than No refills that. probably either, right? No, yep. no. So the first time that I ever saw the eighties was this, was this day. Um, and basically, you know, my friend was like, you know, you want to try them? I was like, yeah, sure. I was like, I've already kind of taken them before. She's like, yeah, but we snort them. I was like, okay. So I literally snorted a whole 80 and knew that whole feeling of going back like Michael Keaton had just did. And then probably 15, 20 minutes fucking threw up. And then I was like, the next I day I'm like, this. we're doing this again. And that's it's, exactly how it started. Our fucking minds, Dana. Did you hear what you just said in yeah. that in that order? You're like, oh, yeah. I did it. It felt good. I threw up and then I wanted it more. Yep. That's exactly how that went. We are so and, fucked up. It's ridiculous. And then I was on that spiral <laughs> doing them. Um, people were selling them. You, you know, the 80s were everywhere. Um, then the 40s were everywhere. Roxy 30s were everywhere, too. I that mean, was you my could baby. Get, that, that was my, that was my were, love. Yeah. That was my love. 
I was I too lazy. 80s. I was too lazy was, for 80s. Thank you. Me too. Me too. I didn't and like the hangover from the 80s either. Roxy never gave me a hangover. Me either. Um, and then plus I discovered them in 2008. So 2009 OPs replaced OCs. Yes. And so I only took OPs as Suboxone, basically. I would take, I would get like 20s if I had to, because they were yeah. only like $10 a piece because they were OPs. And then when I couldn't find 30s, I would just pop the 20s just to keep me maintained sure. until yeah. I would get Roxy again. But yeah. when it came down to it, nine and a half years, only Ox, Roxy's. Me because too. I, because I love them so much. Me and too. I knew I was addicted a month in and I was completely okay with it because I enjoyed it so much. Yeah. I, you know? I, I kind of feel this the same way. Um, I mean, the first time I ever tried, like I said, I tried the eighties at that, that potency level. And then Roxy's, I learned what Roxy's were really quickly afterwards and people were smoking them. And then I tried smoking them. So I was smoking them. Um, and then it went to just fully snorting them or smoking them and snorting them, depending on whatever it was. But then I realized that everybody had them and people were making money. And I started talking to some of the guys that I had already done business with before when it had came to the ecstasy. And he kind of broke it all down as to what was going on in Florida, that I could send people to the doctor and that, you know, you could hit so many counties. You were in the Mecca. You were in the Roxy Mecca in this country. Yes. Yes. And I was in the middle too, being in West Palm. You've got Miami, so you've got Dade County, then you've got Fort Lauderdale, you've got Broward County, then you've got West Palm Beach, you've got Palm Beach County, then you've got Martin County. So you could hit really four counties in a day. I'm and gonna you have could a, send several people. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm doing a, I'm doing a panel this morning with um like six different girls from Ohio that have already been on my show. Mm-hmm. One of one of them, um, her and her husband, they were in addiction together for like 17 years. Wow. Um, They've been, you know, clean and sober together like a few years, like three years now. That's Um, fabulous. But for like five of those years, they were driving from Ohio 22 hours, seven times a month to you. I believe it. And then driving back to Ohio. I know I know three different dealers from Jersey that once a month will go down to Florida, hit like three different places and then drive back up with like 2000 pills. Well, they made it very easy to I mean. I always say this, they made it so fucking easy for us, especially for us drug dealers too. I mean, once, all right. So once I started getting the habit of using them and then realized that this is something I'm doing every day before I realized that I was an addict and I was addicted to them, you know, I knew that I could make money off them and everybody around me was doing them. So it was time for me to find them. I also was those people too, that paid stupid prices to get them and was whatever. But when I realized that I could actually send people to the doctor that's kind of when things shifted. Plus at that time, there was a shift between me and my friends that I grew up with forever. I was really getting into them more than I think they were. There were a couple of girls as well that were really getting into them. And then I had done the whole doctor thing like one or two times. I was really bad off on them. I was buying them all the time. Now I'm stealing at this time, stealing from my family doing all this stuff. And then my mom catches up with me again and was like, what is going on with you? And I tell her, I'm honest with her. I pull out all these pill bottles out of my bag and I'm like, I'm fucking taking these like crazy. So she doesn't know what to do. So she calls, remember those information phone lines that you could call back in the day? She calls one of those. They tell her that I'm an addict now. 
And then I need to go to rehab. So she finds a detox for me and she finds a rehab for me to go to. My parents spend stupid fucking money for me to do this. I go into the detox. I'm in a detox now where, okay, so at this time, my using level had got up to a really, really high. Now I'm taking oxys. I'm taking roxies. I haven't hit heroin yet. And I'm just snorting at this point too, or smoking them. Um, I go through a 15 day detox. Um, because in the time too, I was also throwing methadone wafers in there as well. Cause I had learned, you know, cause why not? Cause why not? And Xanax. So I would think at this point I was taking the first time I went to rehab, I was taking Xanax. I was taking methadone wafers. I was taking the oxys and I was taking the roxies Hadn't tried heroin yet. And I was still only sniffing this stuff or smoking them. So then I went ahead, went into rehab and I went to a, detox program, I think for two weeks. And then I went to a 60 day program and that was just a crash course for me to learn how to do drugs better, how to get around the system, how to use our system for money or to take care of ourselves. I basically leveled up as a drug addict. I felt like from that experience, came home, stayed sober for a little bit, was done, was out back out at the races again. Um, then I, this is when I really learned more about the doctors and the pill mills. I learned about it a little bit, had dabbled in it a little bit. This time around, I knew that I needed to make a really big go for it. And this is when the separation of my friends and I really came into play. Um, I grew up with these people for years and I was just on a different level. And I started hanging out with people that were on a different level too. But yet I was living a double, double life because my family still thought I was okay. And I was still going to work. I was still doing what I needed to do. I was 100% a functioning addict at that time. So I would go to my day job, you know, during the daytime. And then depending on what time I was done, then I was down to my other job where I was sending people to the doctor all day and got involved with some people I shouldn't have. Then ended up having a, um, a stash house of where we were kind of, you know, running out of and having all of our pills you know, when you're taking so many people to the doctor every, when they're going every single day for you, you're paying for those visits. It was like the first transaction kind of happened where I went and I told, you know, I did the first one and I realized how much I could make back from it. Plus also have the pills for myself. It was just a domino effect. Then it just grew to a business pretty much. Then it just grew to people who I was doing business with. And then it became a point where I was doing everything. I'm not I'm trying not to get into so much of everything because no, I get it. No, no, I, I know. How, be, well, no, and I, know I have how the to be careful. Yeah. yeah, I have and to I be careful how that went. too because I should have been in prison for the rest of my life, in all honesty, um, yeah. for things that I were doing. And I ended up not getting in trouble for it. I ended up, yes, I went to jail for some things, but it wasn't what I could have gone to jail for. You know what I mean? Yep. I've had some really scary times or some different scary situations with the law that I thought I was going to get in trouble for, but I didn't. And then I learned how to, I, I learned how to put them on the take pretty much some of them. Like it was just a whole domino effect of things that I don't even know if I should really be saying that, but like it was a whole domino effect of you all things that I was doing. Yeah. So basically I, I, I went to rehab learned how to become a better drug dealer and drug addict. And that's when needles were introduced to me too. And I learned how to use that. And then Roxy's became, I was shooting Roxy's instead of just sniffing them. And I'm taking all these people to the doctors. And now I'm in this whole world. Now I'm a woman in this world of men making money and having to be this tough mentality all the time. 
which I'm not that person, you know, like I can be tough when I need to be, but in actuality, I, I didn't want to live that life. And now I'm living a double life too, because I'm still going home to my family and to my jobs and friends and things like this. But yet there's a shift. I don't hang out with them as much. And now I'm hanging out with all these other people. Yeah. Um, my mom at that point realized that I wasn't going to stop and I wasn't going to stop anything I was doing. I also moved out at that point at, at somewhere between the line I had moved out and I was doing my thing. She really cut me off completely, like a hundred percent completely. Exactly um, what she needed to do, what she needed to do. And I totally respect that and understand that. Um, and I got to a point where I was doing some things that I really shouldn't have done. And I was messing with some people I really shouldn't have. I also didn't realize what they were really doing either. Um, there comes a point in time when you're messing with people where everybody's lying. You don't really know the full story of everything that's going on. And I had a bunch of couple close calls with certain things. And, yeah. and that's, one... how, that's how that life goes, though. You know, oh, yeah. you're, you're getting in with these people and then. You know, the thing is, and we've all been there, is this person doesn't want to show all their cards. You don't want to show all your cards. You tell that person what you think that person wants to hear. That person tells you what that person thinks you want to hear. And then that is what the basis of your relationship or working relationship or, you know, business relationship is based on is whatever you say. But really, like, the thing is that always gets us in trouble is the things that we're not saying. That that's what always gets us in trouble. Um, no, how long were you running like that? You know, between before you landed into another rehab. So in between that time period, there was a place around here called DAF that you could go into detox and dry out. I had done that several times, and then would go into a sober house and then right back out with my bullshit. I thought that if I kept myself living in a sober house but still doing everything I needed to do, it would somehow keep me on a level, but it never did. Um, then I got myself into, I had a really bad scare where I got pulled over. I then, oh wait, so this is when heroin got introduced as well. So now you're getting to the point where Roxy's aren't readily available as much as they would be. The doctors are starting to really like shut down a little bit. I'm not able to pay these. I'm not able to do this stuff with these doctors anymore. These people that I had going, you know, the, some of them are falling off. Some people are telling on themselves. Some people are going to jail. It's yep. like the wild west at this point. There's something you are constantly watching your back. You're always worried about something. And on top of that, you're trying to keep up your drug habit habit the entire time so you're 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 all fucked up well then I was getting into the heroin I took a drive to Miami um got a very large amount that I should have never had on me got pulled over in my town and when I got pulled over in my town the cops searched everything I had somebody in the front seat with me and she was freaking out and I'm like you need to fucking keep your shit together right now otherwise we're going to jail like we're going to jail and she kept her shit together a little bit, but not really. They had us get out of the car, look through everything. At that point, I think I already known that people knew that I was a drug dealer at that point. He skimmed right over that package. I don't know why I didn't get in trouble that night. I don't know why I didn't go to jail that night. I have absolutely no idea. I don't know if he saw it and just kept on going because of maybe knowing me or whatever. I don't know. I have absolutely no idea how that happened, but I will tell you that by having a certain address on my license has gotten me out of a lot of shit and a lot. I thought I, white privilege doesn't exist. 
100% it does. I'm and just, I, I, you know, <laughs> I, I would, I should have went to jail so many times, you know, so and many I times. Got in trouble and I should have, you know, like I, when I, even when I got sober, I had charges pending from in, in addiction. Right. And then on my nine month anniversary, I went to, you know, my hearing, you know, that had been waiting from getting arrested for having pills and they pulled me over in a school zone and I had weed and it wasn't medical at the time, you know, and I didn't go there with a lawyer. I yeah. went there by myself and I asked to speak to a prosecutor. I told her that you can throw the book at me. I'm guilty of what happened. I'm nine months sober. And she was like, did we ask you to go to court? And I said, or go to rehab? And I said, no, honestly, I was high as hell in your preliminary hearing. And then I put myself in rehab. And when I was flying out to LA, I realized that I had court in two weeks because I completely forgot about you guys. Yeah. Um, and I went to rehab because I was tired of living that life. So really, there's nothing that you can do to me in drug court that's going to upset me. I'll, I'll piss for you every single week if you need me to. Right. And then she's like, oh, we have no point of putting you in the system because you obviously want to be sober anyway. And then just dropped all charges and gave me $800 fine. You know, that never would have happened if no, it, no matter how honest people are. Let's be real. So and people yeah. are like, oh, no, that's not white privilege. That's just you being a good guy. Okay, cool. Anyway, listen, we 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 could get into that all day, but I will tell you what I have one story that I knew that I knew then that I was different and that and and it wasn't good because it was right at that time where I started, you know, just came back from rehab. I was hanging out with people I shouldn't have. I was going to get some pills. We got pulled over. I was in a car full of people that had a different address than me. And I had never been in trouble before or just basically had a different address at that point. He pulls me out of the car, runs everything. I'm the one that has all the pills on me. He dumps them out of my purse and stomps on them. He goes, I just saved your life. He's like, you now we're going to go call your mom as everyone else is getting arrested. My mother came and picked me up that night. I was like, I want to say 20. Yeah. Okay. So I knew then. Yeah. Let's replay this back. The person who had the pills on her did not get arrested. And the cop just stepped on him and said, I saved your life. Hey officer, you just saved me time. No, I'm just kidding. But the cop just steps on him. And then the people who didn't possess them, but just were a party to the person that possessed them got arrested. Were they also white? Those people you were friends with that were in the car with you or no? Some, but some not. But their addresses weren't. Um, their address yeah. was not from Wellington, Florida. Their which address was considered was to be a nice area. Apartment this or. Yeah. They didn't know who my parents were. They didn't know if they had money or not type thing. So I feel like sometimes they didn't want to fuck with you. And I, I say this lightly because I have, I have respect for for both sides. I see mm-hmm. both sides right now with everything. Mm-hmm. But I also know at that time and also the things that I was doing this is dirty cops that I had dealt with. No, this is way this is okay. maybe 2006, 2005 okay. at the most. Um I I knew then that there was something off about things. Um and you know that's just my experience. You know, now yeah. being in a different headspace and having a different life, my interactions with you know, law enforcement are totally different. And I've always had to worry about things too, because my husband does have a felony and they always look at him for that. Even though he was 21 and it's a driving felony, he always gets looked at like he's doing something wrong. He gets yeah. pulled out of the car. He gets searched. And I'm like, when he was 21, he's 37 now, go fuck yourself. You know, yeah. like it's a different story, but I have nothing but respect and admiration for people who do their jobs and give back to yeah. the community 
But at the same time, in my my lifetime, my story, my personal experiences, I have seen some pretty shitty things, and I've seen some things that have happened where I've questioned, like, hmm, okay. But anyways, so um, I ended up. I don't even know where we are now. You, you're wow. you're you're going on a run of discovering heroin. Okay, so found heroin, found needles in that time period. Ended up having that scare where I almost thought I was going to go to jail that night. Um, was taking an obscene amount. Was not making the money that I used to. Now I'm going back into not being this high person of dealing and having everything I want. I'm totally doing my product. Totally doing everything. Having people pissed off. Person I was seeing at the time. Um, I used to be really stealth about things. I'd leave in one car and then go drive around and do something and come back in another car. Um I had like a beater for when I did all of my crazy stuff. And then I would drive my, you know, my nice car back into Wellington or whatever. Um, you and drive the beater in Wellington just to get like a sore thumb. Yeah. So I, uh, I mean, I really could, but you know, I, it's, it's just, you got to keep up appearance. You got to keep up that yeah. everything's okay. So um, I ended up coming home one night and the person who I was seeing had a gun to his head by the people that I was dealing with. And I realized at that point that my life had completely gone down a different change. I left with them. I didn't come home for two days. The person who I was with was obviously very frantic and freaking out. But I came home and I was like, don't worry, I have a different deal. Everything's okay. And at that point, that person was like, you know what? We're fucking done. Like you, you've hit it a whole nother level where you don't give a shit about anybody but yourself. And I'm like, you're probably right. So that didn't stop me, but I realized I was on a different course. Um, and um, there was a combination of things that were really going on. I don't remember what led me to my next point where I decided to go back into rehab, but I went to a rehab that was basically like a boot camp. Um, those women in there fucking broke me down and built me back up. The first week I was there, they made me wear a sign that said, I'm a drug dealer. Then my next one was, I make women sell their body for drugs. Um, I take um, food out of kids' mouths. The whole nine that you could possibly do to break you down is what they did. But then they built you back up. But that was the first rehab that I had realized that. Um, it reminds me of those dog shaming pictures when the dog, like, you know, eats like a stuffed animal and they put like the placard around the dog's neck and they get a picture like, I shit in the kitchen. You know what I mean? Oh, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the pictures of it, the was, it was, it was, let me tell you something though. Um, it, it opened my eyes to things that I wasn't seeing because I didn't sell my body. Um, I didn't have kids at the time. Those two things I'm very grateful in my addiction that I didn't, I didn't go through. Yes. I was put in a lot of different situations. Yes. I had to defend myself. I've had guns drawn on me. I've had a lot of things happen when you're a part of that world. Um, I've watched things happen to people that I didn't think would ever get out of my mind. Um, I've seen it all, you know, like sometimes I feel like there's a movie playing in my head when I have to relive some things. Um, and so that rehab I, worked. So that rehab, like that rehab did work, um, to get, to make didn't. me until it didn't, I mean, it, it made it work until I realized that there was, I, I realized that there was something majorly wrong. And this was my first taste of real recovery. Um, and when I got done, I ended up meeting somebody, obviously, in treatment. Um, I was with her for a very long time. She lied to me about her age, about everything about her. Um, but when we got out, we were both trying to stay sober. That didn't work for very long. But then I realized that I could not stay in Florida anymore. I had to get the fuck out of here. Not to mention I had a lot of bad people that were trying to fuck me up at that point. 
so I left. I moved to Alabama with her. Um, when we got there, people didn't really accept women being with women. Um, I'm a bisexual woman, so it doesn't really, it's not really good. Plus I look like I'm Hispanic, but I'm not, I'm Italian. So everybody thought I was Mexican and gay. So it didn't really, it wasn't really the great, um, there's still a lot of, it's not uh, like you were in Vermont where <laughs> like New Hampshire. I, I just like, really wasn't accepted. People mm-hmm. wanted to, yeah. you know, need to go to church and get better. And like, that's how the mentality was. I ended up meeting a great group of people at at one point, but um, I was trying to get, she just could not stay clean and I wanted to. It didn't matter how much I was trying, she was pulling me down. Finally, we got, it, we got ourselves settled there and this was the first time I was introduced to methadone. And um, I didn't really know much about it. The program they have there was at that time, back in 2009, oh, I skipped a sec, I got arrested. So, okay, so we got, sorry, see what I'm saying? Like, I can't remember. No, it's okay. Yeah, it's it's okay. So, go ahead. But 2009, Alabama, that's just. 2009 was when I got arrested. So I got, I got out of that treatment center. I was doing good for a while. I got a job, like I got a, like a real job. I was working Mm. somewhere, but then I realized that they were doing some shady shit and I was help them how to do some shady shit better and then obviously the police came in and, you know. At a treatment center? No, no, no. At, well, I, the first time that I ever got in trouble um, with the police coming in questioning me was at a treatment center, the one that I was at. Which one? I don't know it, how it happened. Um, the one that I went to that was kind of like a, like a. Uh, like oh, a, never mind. Uh, the one I'm camp. thinking of. Okay, never mind. Okay, the one I'm thinking of is much But it was state. You. It was state ran. And I also had to have family members sign me in. It was like, uh, it was through the courts thing. Well, I think I know, they I had know total you, access to do that. Yeah, right. I, I, I grew up with a dude um, that started a treatment center in, you know, fucking Delray that got shut down and raided. And he's, you know, doing time or looking at time because of all the shit they were falsifying with UAs. Do you know how many people I know like that? But it was a place place in Delray in 2014. It got shut down and raided. I probably Uh, know it. You probably do, yeah. Probably know it. Because at that point, I was working in treatment. um, And a guy on my show was actually across the street watching the raid happening. Oh, I'm sure. I had to call the cops on places before. I had to go in with a baseball bat one time and get a girl that was fucking chained to a bed. I had to bring five guys about your size with me, and I didn't give a fuck. Oh, yeah. I stormed through that door, got the three girls that I knew were in there, and fucking called the cops and watched them burn. And walked right up to one of these motherfuckers and said, let me tell you something. You're bringing out the prison in me, and I don't give a fuck. You have these girls chained to these beds. Are you fucking kidding me? Okay, so that's that's crazy that they were chained to the fucking bed like that. You know, yeah. like, I, I fucking hate people. Uh, I've seen some crazy things in my time when it came to working um, in treatment. But anyways, let's go back to where we're supposed to be because I yeah, just you're an how long we've been doing yeah, this. So, yeah, you're an So Al- listen, hold, hold on. I got to go. So wait, we're, I get arrested. I get arrested for, um, 
for being a part of this business in, in Florida. Really, I'm not going to get too much into it. Anyhow, yeah. I get a get out of jail free card. They said that I could move as well. And I'm like, I got to get the fuck out of here. That was the first time I ever went to jail. It was one of my ex- scariest experiences that I ever had. I had had police officers come and talk to me before. I had them come and talk to me while I was in the treatment center, the state run facility before this happened and basically told me, you know, the jigs up, we know what's going on, blah, blah, blah. And I basically told them, well, I'm more afraid of the people that I'm working with than you. So I have no problem telling them what's going on, but if you're going to charge me, you can charge me and I will take care of it then. And that's what I did. And I never heard anything about it again. And I didn't go searching for it either because I was like, what's done is done. I went to those people and said, I'm done. I'm going to rehab. We're done with everything. And I pretty much walked away and I don't even know how I walked away from that. Um, but anyhow, I, um, I get out of treatment, doing good, get a job, get all mixed up with this again. My girlfriend is pretty much using. So I get mixed up with that again. <clears throat> I end up going to jail scariest it was a very scary situation for me because it was the first time i had ever been to jail they literally are there to scare you they put me in a 23 hour lockdown cell i got out for an hour chain me everywhere they finally let me out i get on probation um i basically get a get out of jail free card with this that's basically what happened um and uh then i decided to move to alabama Once I get there and I'm trying to get myself better and trying to get her better at the same time, finally somebody kind of presented to me what this treatment center that they were going to that was for using methadone. I had already been introduced to methadone prior with the wafers and stuff like that. They had used it a little bit in my detoxes before, but very mild. Um, But then I go in and I ended up meeting with different doctors, different therapists that were there. And it wasn't ran like it was in Florida, like it's basically just a drug station. This was very different. They had me on different milligrams. They watched everything. It was an actual full-blown treatment center the way they did it. I had never been to, and I still haven't been, except for my last last run. I hadn't been to somewhere where they did this like this. Like legitimately. Um, like legitimately. You know, like, like they I hadn't done help that. They want to help people, money. yeah. And it's a process. You get on, you get off. It wasn't a, a steadfast thing that you stayed Which, on either. Yeah, exactly. And I firmly believe that. And by the way, time, as long as we're wrapped within, you know, 30 minutes, it, we have 30 minutes. So it's not, it's okay. We have plenty of time. Okay. Um, yeah, I don't I have a time limits on these. Some of my episodes are two hours long. It really, you know, it doesn't I feel matter. like I could talk to you all day. I mean, yeah. totally, 100%. Yeah. Um, so don't worry about the time. And but yet, like the treatment center thing is you can tell right away if they genuinely want to help you. And the suboxone maintenance thing, I'm all about it. But you should be also weaning down by the time you get out of that, like residential, in my opinion. Yeah. You should be weaned down by the time you get into a sober living um, and then get on the Vivitrol yeah. because that will help with the cravings. And that sure. is something that you can stop on a dime and you won't have to withdraw from. Yeah. But while you're under care use the subs but don't overuse them don't take them because it's time to take them you know what i mean take them because you're you're you can't go on anymore without it then you take a piece of a sub then you're gonna feel better and then if that took 36 hours try to go 48 yeah try to push no i totally agree there's a whole new way that we could be using things you can be the boxing is an amazing tool it really is if used correctly I also think that methadone is a good tool. People it, might not yeah. agree with me, but no, no, I it, do. Oh, it it saved my it, life. It, it got is. me off of a needle. 
-hmm. and it got me really, you know, my mind starting to get back because even though I had months of sobriety and blips in between, it was always that going back to that dope sick show. It's like that girl where she just couldn't figure out why she wanted to keep doing, she'd have all these months and then she'd be all fucked up again and have to do it. It's because our brain wasn't being fed correctly to get ourselves. Really? Holy. I didn't realize you were bisexual until you said that. So I, now I realize how much you really resonated with that girl. Yeah. With, yeah. with the girlfriend. And then the, uh, that makes a lot more sense that you keep on going back to her because, and it's not wrong, but that's, that was your focus was her well, story it was but, kind of all of it but it was the, still. she started when they started the show and when she really got yeah. into that part where she got blown up in the mind saying that whole explosion yep. and she's sitting there going i don't know what's wrong with me something in my head like your where you felt it i felt it when she said that her character is very different than mine we we don't really have a lot of similarities yeah you didn't grow up religious moment, or yeah. with the parents that were together and the quiet yeah she had a quiet mom that when she told yeah. her she Gay pretending she didn't hear. Like yeah, I feel no. like your mom would is very, very accepting and loving. And as long oh, as you're yeah. happy, that's all she gives a fuck about. You know? Yeah, when I told my mom that I was I was with a woman, she was like, Okay. Okay. She's like, Are you coming for dinner? You happy? I was like, yeah. Oh, exactly. Yeah. She didn't think anything yeah. anything of it. But and not when I, it doesn't make you a bad mom, by the way. If it and it doesn't make you a bad mom if you are the opposite where you and you you aren't sure what to say to your kid. If you're a parent and your kid comes out and you don't know what to say, that's okay. It's just, sure. it's, it's more of a reflection of how you were raised. No, so it's, totally it's, it's it's not a bad thing. It's just ask questions. If you yeah. don't, all, all, all anybody wants to know, especially in the community, is ask questions. Be yeah. curious. Don't, you know, don't come at it from a hateful way. You can be curious and ask questions. You know, we, of run, course. LGBT, we run LGBTQ meetings at our meeting center. Uh, we invite youth to them because of the Trevor Project and how, like, what's going on with sure. youth in the, in the community. And it's all about communication. It's as simple as that. That's all they want in the community is just communicate with them. Ask them questions if you're curious. And don't be disparaging. Just be okay and accepting. That's all it is. It's it's a really easy thing. It's not asking oh, yeah. fucking much. I totally agree. I'm glad your mom's all about it. So now you're in Alabama. You're trying to save your girlfriend who is going off, you know, the rails. And and then you discover methadone. And are you maintaining with methadone, like your sobriety? Yeah. So that that was my start of and the end of really of me using anything for quite a long time. That's when I you got, got on the, the treatment, 2011, right? Yeah, so I ended up uh, staying. I was in Alabama for a couple of years. Um, then I actually, from when I had gotten in trouble the first time with my get out of jail free card, I owed a little bit of money to the state and I didn't realize it. And they put a warrant out for me. So my mom calls and she's like, You've been back to Florida? And I'm like, No. She's like, Well, you got a warrant out for your arrest. I'm like, Cool. So I go to the job now. I'm working a really good job. I'm, a, you know, I, I have an actual great position there. I'm making great money. I've got a home. She can't stay sober for the life of her. Our relationship is dwindling. My mom's like, you got to come back here and take care of this. So I decide to go do that. I go and I take care of everything. Actually, while I'm actually leaving to go back home, she literally says, the lawyer calls me, literally says, I've taken care of everything. Don't worry to come back. I'm like, well, I've already been let go from my job to collect unemployment. They're like, collect unemployment. Come back when you're ready because we can't, we're a big corporation. I can't keep you while you have a warrant. I go, I'm already going back home. I'm like, fuck it, I'm going home now. So while I'm there, um, my ex is going down a different path of drugs with meth that I've never done really. I've tried it before, but I didn't go down that path. She's on that path. 
and I get a, I go to the bank one day to take out some money from the savings account because we didn't have the same bank as I did here and all the money's gone. And then finally, my mom's like, you know, you should really just stay here. And that's exactly what I did. I actually called my neighbor. My neighbor had called me too and was like, hey, I didn't know you're having a yard sale today. And I was like, I'm in Florida. And she, she was, was showing like, all your shit. Sold pretty much everything. I think she knew that I really wasn't coming back anyway. Um, I tried to keep it going. I had such a love for her, even through all of the chaos and everything going on. But I also knew that the last time I spoke to her was going to be the last time I spoke to her because then, um, Let's probably be real. She... two years into my relationship with my husband, I got a phone call from her brother that she passed, which I knew was going to happen. Yeah. And she also could have done that to push you away, knowing she was going to drag you down. Could have, you because know, at and, that point I was doing really well. I yeah. had gotten off the methadone. And I was she knew if sober. she takes all your money and she sells all your shit, you're not going to want to be in her life. And then she won't have to feel guilty about taking you down with her. Yeah. You know, there are so many relationships that I burned quickly in addiction because, you know, I, you know, I told my story back in September, right? Um, I had somebody actually today, today's episode is Josh. Josh was on in July, and him and I had such a fun conversation. I had him back on in September to interview me about my story and be like my guest, my host, and I was the guest. And because um, he has a, a new podcast called An Atheist Reads a Big Book. Mm. <laughs> um, so, I like that. Yeah, him and I get along really well. I'm not an atheist, but Bill marries my higher power, so we have a lot of fun talking. Like um, so you know, he he's today's episode. But anyway, um, we what was I saying? I got confused for a second. I was talking about Josh, um, about the relate. Oh, he asked me, he goes, when he was talking, he goes, I know you don't really have any like women in your life during, like you had one serious relationship and to your childhood best friend, but there wasn't really any other girlfriends. Like I, I had like problems with relationships along with my drinking. And I was like, yeah, it's because I pushed everybody away so quickly. I didn't want anybody to come down with me. me I too. was so accepting of the fact that I was a drug addict and this was a lot that I have. And I just didn't want to hurt anybody else because I consciously knew what I was doing to myself. And I just didn't want to be responsible to hurt anybody else. Sure. And so, you know, I could see if I was in her shoes, pushing away somebody I loved, because then I would die even faster knowing I was hurting somebody I loved. Yeah. Um, so I'm glad that you got to Florida. You kind of, you know, not to escape it, but you got to get away before you went down that hole with her. Yes. Um, yeah both literally and figuratively, unfortunately. And that's, you know, we lose people in this, you know, yeah. and we, they, I, I, we lose a lot of people in this, unfortunately, yeah. but the only way I can look at it with an open mind is they died so I could live. They, they died to teach me a lesson that I didn't want them to teach me. Yeah. Uh, you know, and without saying that in my head, when someone dies from this fucking disease, I would be doing it with them again, because this is such a hard thing. People think addicts have a tough try being in recovery. We have to go to Al-Anon just to stay sane sometimes because people relapsed around us all the time. When yeah. you work in recovery, you if you're not doing Al-Anon or Naranon and you're working in recovery or you're working with a lot of sponsees in some kind of capacity, look into it, please, because it's going to help you greatly. 100%. That's, that's advice from like, you know, an old timer that they gave me like, why aren't you in Al-Anon? Why aren't you in Naranon? Yeah. Because you are surrounding yourself with addicts that are going to hurt you. You need to protect yourself because it's your sobriety at the end of the day that comes first. 
Yeah. The selfish thing that we do with getting sober. Getting sober isn't a very selfish thing. You have to cut out everybody to fucking do this right, you know? Absolutely. So now you're in Florida. You're cutting out. Is this when you get your first, like, treatment job where, like... Yes. Yeah, so I come home. Now I am in my late 20s. I think 29, 28 at this time. It got to be 29 because then my husband and I reconnected six, six or seven months later. And then I turned 30. So anyhow... I, uh, I ended up coming back and I stayed, did everything I needed to do. And now I'm there with nothing and no money. And I'm like, I'm like, everything is, everything is done. I left everything I had there. And my mom decided, my mom has been working at a, my mom's a, um, a personal trainer. She does yoga Pilates, does all that with the senior citizens too. She does like silver sneakers, but she was doing yoga at a treatment center in town. Cool. And, um, I went with her. She's like, why don't you come to yoga class with me? I'm like, yeah, okay. So I go and there's this kid there who's trying to leave. And I basically talk him out of it. And he goes and he stays. I spent probably three or four hours with him that night. I took him, my mom and I took him to go eat. We took him back, whatever, this and that. Got him back to come back. And then. Um, I have such chills right now in my entire body. Because I, I, how, is that the first time you got high in sobriety? Like by that, that was the first time I got high in sobriety was when I talked somebody into staying. It was the most gratifying when, feeling that I had ever felt in my entire like, life. I was almost I in tears helping people. Yeah, I was yeah. almost in tears when I they were trying to leave because just why FYI for people why when you go to rehab they don't lock the doors. There's no fences that keep us in. We can walk the fuck out whenever we want. Anytime you, you just can't walk back in. You yeah. can leave. The, they're inviting you to leave. They're going to leave your shit at the end of the driveway. Just yeah. don't come the fuck back in. Sure. Um, so, like, you can leave. This is not prison. You can walk out when you want. The thing is, when you walk out, you are just stuck and really alone. Yeah. So it's about that little reminder of you're here. Just stay. You're safe. Stay where it's safe. It will happen. Today's a bad day. Life's not going to be perfect. You're going to have bad days in sobriety, and you're going to have to learn how to sit through those bad days to get to the good days again. You know, I've had some really rough days lately where it's I, I live in depression sometimes. And, you know, when I get depressed, I shut down. And it's funny to say that I don't talk because I can't shut the fuck up. But when I'm depressed, it's scary because I'll go 12 hours without speaking a word, uttering a word out loud. And, you know, even my wife, she knows when I can't stop talking or she knows when I'm depressed because I don't talk. That's, you know, it's just, it's completely like, I'm just like going through the motions. Yeah. And I'm glad I'm that transparent, you know, because it, I, I would be dangerous for my mental health if I wasn't that transparent, if I could hide my depression. Sure. You know, so it, it is one of the most gratifying things to be able to, I talked to a girl out of leaving and she's still sober to this day four years later and I'm still friends with her on Facebook. And every time I see her post shit, I'm just so fucking happy about it. Um, so is that how you decide, like, I need to be in this kind of job? Actually, no. The owner of the treatment center called me the next day and asked me if I wanted a job. Oh, shit. She's, she's looked at me. She called me. She was a friend of my mom's and she asked me to come down. I spent probably an hour or two with her, and she was like, do you want to do this? Oh, she's like, Like, you? as a tech, right? Like, yeah, as a tech. A she's like, tech I will. <laughs> yeah, she's like, I will send you to the different programs that you need to do from Florida um, so you can learn them. <coughs> Excuse me. And um, we'll get you started. 
uh, I didn't really understand what the job entailed at first. Um, so I said, yeah. And I didn't think twice about it. And I didn't look back. She schooled me. She taught me everything. She was also a therapist and a doctor as well. So she took the time to really teach me everything. Um, she spent a lot of time with me. Um, well, she's, she's, so, she's, she probably, it's, it's not that common to see somebody care that much to take a stranger and then guide them back into, you know, do what that stranger for what that stranger can do for themselves. There was nothing in it for you to talk to that stranger from into leaving or staying. You had no, there was nothing in it for you. You weren't winning anything. You weren't taking any money. You weren't making any money. You weren't losing any money. You had nothing in there. And, right. and when, you know, as somebody that, when you see that and you're like, that person just genuinely cares about people. And that's mm-hmm. the kind of person I want to like mold into somebody that can be a great person that can help a lot of people now. Yeah. If she can do that without any help, imagine what my help can do to make her, you know? Yeah. So, um, how long did you work in treatment before you had that lapse? And we're going to get to that lapse right now. Um, so I want to say that was 11. Let's see. Um, 2011, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, seven years. So you had a solid seven years before you had a lapse of nothing, nothing Nothing at all. Okay. Now it's 2018. You're happily married to your best friend. I'm not married yet. Not married yet, but but I'm engaged. You're engaged. engaged. We live together. We're doing good. You're still working Um, in treatment. Still working in treatment. Um, were you working a program in those seven years? Were you a meeting person or was your program your job? So in the beginning, because... when I first started, I was 100% back in the rooms again. I was doing everything I needed to do. The once problem I is continued when you're tech. to start being, a, once I moved up to a lead and then to a supervisor and then went to school, I did some schooling. I did everything I needed to do. And then I went and became a you know, a, I was a supervisor and then I became a director my game changed. I couldn't really go into the rooms anymore and talk about things because I'm a director of a treatment center and people are coming in and out of the treatment centers all the time. I would go in, I would speak, I would do all that kind of stuff. But then I kind of found cannabis along the way then too, before I had my lapse. And I remember um, talking to one of the doctors and I was telling him about it and he was so pro cannabis and CBD and I was getting really bad migraines and instead of taking painkillers or all the other stuff that made me so loopy or tired I started using CBD and then I started using a THC tincture that really helped me I was taking it at night um I felt elevated but it didn't I didn't feel anything like like any type of drug use before but I was using it and I felt at that time I shouldn't be in the rooms because that's what you're taught. You know, you're taught that that's not what you're supposed to do. So I respected it because I don't have, um, at this point in my life, I've realized that any recovery path to stay sober is what you need to do. I'm not going to bash AA or NA or CA. I'm not going to do that. Um, it was my stepping stone to where I am now. And I'm yeah. still on my journey. I'm not even... I'm yeah. not even all there yet. You know yep. what I mean? I've just also came out of my shell. I feel like recently a lot too. Yeah. Um, so I had, I had the lapse. Um, 
I actually was on a boat and I slipped and I hurt my hand. I went to the emergency room and they prescribed me um, painkillers. And at that time, because of my life, I'm like, well, maybe I'm supposed to take this. I'm supposed to do it this way. No, I took that whole bottle. Um, and How then, quick? How quick? Uh, but <laughs> between that night and the next day, it was gone. Um, and I also knew uh, for some Were reason, you in that my bottle? Addict, so listen, in my addict head, I told the doctor that I already had issues with my stomach and I didn't want a whole bunch of filler if I needed something. So he, he brought me the stuff that I needed. You knew exactly how to fucking. Yep. I know. I know. Um, no. But it was the best thing that ever happened to me because I it was a very as, as quick as it happened, as quick as it stopped. The worst part of it was, um, is that at this time, my husband was still kind of, you know, he likes, he drinks, but he can always stop himself. Like it's, I, I, I tell him. He doesn't have the sensation of craving. No, like I really wish that I could be like him sometimes. I tell him like, he just knows. So the worst part, my worst guilt and my worst regret for this entire thing that happened was of course I'm in treatment. So everybody around you, you either know that can use or not use or that has stuff or doesn't have stuff because I'm in the same area that I did all my stuff. It was very, very easy for me to get stuff. I wasn't, I was, I knew exactly what to do. Even after all that time, I knew what to do and which was terrible. Um, but I ended up getting some and, um, I kind of took him along for the ride with me without him really knowing. I just was kind of like, I just want to, you know, just enjoy it. But he knew that I had a problem, but he didn't understand the extent of it until he didn't understand. And I hate that I did that to him because he didn't know any better. I know that people can say that he, he did or whatever. No, when you're, when your wife and you are in a committed relationship, you have vehicles, you have homes, you have things, you have savings accounts, you have all this stuff, you have things in your life, you are adults, and you're saying that you just want to party and have a little bit of a release. They don't think anything of it because his mindset isn't like mine. He didn't realize it. And after two months of, like, I would be the one that always initiated, like, I'd like to get something this weekend, but I was doing everything all week and he didn't know, you know? And, or if I did do something, he would get like one and I'd get 10. You know what I'm saying? Like, so that's how that works. So when, and then there would be times where he'd be like, no, we did that last week. And like, I don't want to do that again. You know, it it was, it was like, it was always me. It was full forced me and he got involved with it. I was the one that pushed it. And when he realized that he was starting to have a problem, like he did when he was 20, you know, like taking them like that, he couldn't, he works a hard job and he was realizing that he was now putting it in his mind for pain. I realized that I was having a problem and I came clean about, it. I'm like, I'm having a problem. He's like, well, you know what? I am, I, I'm, I'm feeling that way too now. He's like, because we're doing this so much. And for him, he's like, I just got to stop. Like we're done. I was like, but I can't stop like that because I'm not honest about how much I'm using. And he's like, okay, well, what do we do? Like, what do we got to do? Um, so that was really hard. We never told my family um, because it was, um, I had already put my family through so much and as quickly as it started is as quickly as it ended. I realized what was going on. I felt, I felt terrible for dragging him into something that he looked at differently and looked at as us just having a little bit of a release and a good time. We know our boundaries now. We know who we are now. We know what we can and can't do. We've come out stronger than this than we ever did before. And we didn't lose anything. And 
I went to my employers and I told them what was going on. And I said that I was going to go back on methadone. I knew that it worked. It, it worked for me before. I said, I'm ready to do this again. Um, so that's when I went to that doctor who fucking told me we were going to do it his way. And he was willing to give his all to make sure because I was, he was a doctor that literally likes patients that have been in and out, in and out. They're like his project. And I'm glad that I became his project. I also, um, I stayed on it for a certain amount of time, got off of it. Then all the non-narcotic medications were about to come into play. And I'm like, I'm not doing it. We explored cannabis, cannabis worked. Not only did I get off, um, get off methadone with just CBD RSO. I love that's how I did it. That's all I, That's how I, I did it. I honestly don't smoke, Dana. Um, oh, I know I, you told me that. Yeah. You, you just take all the oral I use, stuff. I, I use RSO and, mm-hmm. um, or any of the capsules, really. This um, is how we started talking, JD. That's right. This is how we started talking because I said that I got off of methadone with RSO and CBD. And I had to hop into conversation yes. in there because nobody knows what RSO is. Yeah. Nobody knows about Rick Simpson. <laughs> and, you yeah. know, dude's a genius. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's that RSO and, you know, I take my blood pressure and it's it's saving. You know what I mean? I don't and I don't especially because since we've talked, actually, the first time about that, yeah. I had found out from my doctor, I lost a lot of stomach tissue where my gallbladder was. So that's why it was so painful whenever I would call from smoking was because I had a, I have a nerve that was hitting the back of my stomach when I would cough because I didn't have I didn't have any tissue to protect it from yeah. throwing up bile so much over the years in addictions. So all that bile that I threw up, it ate away at the fucking tissue, which is why I lost the gallbladder and all the tissue. Um, so cannabis, RSO, CBD, especially for migraines, you know you know, you know how people have red eyes? Those red eyes are because your eyes are being relaxed in the back. And that's yeah. what softens the headaches, is the strain from the eyes. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a good sign when your eyes are red and that's means it's relaxing in the back of it. Yeah. So yeah. there's a lot of amazing things. There's over 300 fucking ailments that can be cured because of cannabis. Yes. At one time with one hit, like no other medicine in pharmaceuticals. Trust me, we've looked. hundred <laughs> percent. Done it all. It <laughs> Been our own pharmacist. It. And now oh, I was my therapist and my pharmacist. I thought I was so good at it. And now you do your – when did you start your Instagram, that plant curing? It's okay, going to be tagged so, in the description. So if you're listening or watching and you don't already know Dana or follow Dana, just go to the description of the episode. You can click right in and follow her journey from there too. And so, I'm sure you're going to be back for an episode because we're not done. We didn't we – Yeah, for, for sure. Two I hours. feel like we skipped like so much. But And it's, it's so hard when you're first having like a real conversation with someone that you've actually been following for a while. Yeah. And then you're like trying to get it all in. And it's really hard because we're, we're trying to fit in 15 years pretty much for me right now. And yeah, I don't really know don't... how to do that. I've skipped stuff. I've glanced over stuff. I've probably mixed up timelines. But I'm doing the best I can. Like I said, my buddy Josh remember. has been on three times. This girl Ashley's been on three times. Tara's been on twice. You know, yeah. maybe I'll have you and Tara on as a special episode sometime. Yeah, that would be awesome. You know what I mean? So, yeah, don't feel bad. This is the whole point is now the audience will get to know you over time. You know, it's yeah, not just having me download sure. it once, you know. And, and I'm probably going to change my name on Instagram again because I had done it before. I'm trying to find a really good name for myself, and I really haven't been able to. So if anybody has any good comments about that, let me know. I just haven't been able to. I first was... Dana loves plants. Dana loves dabs. Then I was plant cure. Then I was plant curing. And then one of my girlfriends has a has a brand called um, Salt Cured, which is com- completely awesome. And then I thought it sounded too much like it, but the relevance of 
what she has that she uses for her anxiety and depression. She uses basically going to the beach to deal with it and to draw and to work through what she goes through. Basically was like, well, I'm doing the same thing with plants, but then it sounded too much like her. And I didn't want to, I, it doesn't matter anything that I, that I have picked somebody has, or it sounds like it. Um, but I didn't want to do cure because I'll never be cured. Um, but it, a curing was like, all right, I'm a work in progress. Cure. It's a work in progress. Yeah. Anyhow. So, um, I got through my last laps. Okay. Let's go back to that. I got through my last laps. I stayed on the program. I was in therapy for a really long time. Um, did everything I needed to do. This was the best relapse and recovery I did. Cause I did it all for myself. It was just for me. Um, my husband was there every step of the way to support me. Um, it's still, I've, I've worked through the guilt now of what I felt the guilt and shame that I did with him because I never wanted to go down that road with him. And it was 100% me. When I say it was me, it was me. I know it. I take full ownership. Yes. He could have said no. Yes, he couldn't. But how it's really hard to do that. And when you're lying to somebody, not giving them the full disclosure, they don't really know what's going on. Especially in a trusting relationship with someone who has been sober for seven years. Yeah. That works in treatment. You know, yeah. why Why would he have a reason not to trust you, Dana? Exactly. Exactly. You know, and if you go back to one of my episodes, I almost, I almost did the same thing to my wife. Yeah. And I had already relapsed with drinking at this point. And I had said, hey, let's just... Let's go see my sister for the night. You know, we were kid-free for the weekend. I was like, let's go down and see my sister in Jersey. We'll hit this on the way. I'll get you some cheesesteaks. And meanwhile, I'm already planning to meet my old dealer in Jersey and pick up some pills. And, you know, on the way. Mm-hmm. And then we walk out the door to leave. It's a two-hour ride to Jersey from where we're at, by the way. Mm-hmm. And we walk out the door to leave. And I said, never mind. I, I don't want to go. Something's going to happen with the car. I don't want to go. She's like, what? I'm like, I, I, I don't trust myself there. And I, I, I think I'm going to get high if I go. And yep. I think something's going to happen with the car. I just had this really bad sinking feeling and we're staying home tonight. Yeah. And you know, I, yeah, it was, why I, do I, that's the main reason why I live three hours away from where I'm from in Florida. Yeah. I knew that once I got better and so I'm okay. too close, but not too far. So I'm not exactly. You know, that's I'm in a whole spot. different place hour right was now. Too close. When I was hours way too place, close. I was yep. doing that trip four times a week. No problem. Yeah. I can be back in yeah. two hours and high fucking. Yeah. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I'm gonna let yeah. you go though. We're gonna definitely have a part two. There's definitely gonna be a part two in the new year with you. Okay. Oh, uh, thank you so much for this. Is awesome. I love talking. No, I'll see you tomorrow though. So if you want to keep following Dana before she she comes back for another part two, you know, her Instagram will be tagged. Yeah, she, we haven't even got into like when I when I stopped, how I got into exactly. cannabis. Like we got to do a part two. Oh, now. we are going to do a part okay. two. Oh, we are a hundred percent. The only reason I gotta cut it short is because I have seven women waiting for me from Ohio in six minutes. And oh, then I you do that. And I need a cigarette. I got to facilitate an interview with seven women at one time. I need a cigarette first. First, I get that. But thank you so much, Dana. Absolutely.